All right, so I'm going to open in prayer here if you guys will join me. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. And as, uh, as even I was called Jake this morning, I think that's so appropriate to the way my heart feels, Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter who I am, Lord. What matters is it's your word. Uh, and I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive it and that uh, whoever standing here would just be a conduit that you use uh, for your glory to let your word speak to your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, how's everybody doing this morning? It's, uh, it's raining again. It's, uh, we had summer on Friday and winter on Tuesday. So, so here we go. Uh, so we've been in the, this uh, series. You know, we're putting together a puzzle. Uh, we had different puzzle pieces uh, that we've been looking at. The one that the uh, pastor was uh, teaching on last week was, uh, was a puzzle piece at uh, uh, relationship. And uh, I want to kind of build on that today. You know, last week we talked a little bit about the, the relationship of uh, the disciples amongst themselves. Um, and we also touched on the fact that uh, this, this, there's a bigger relationship there that kind of compels us to move into that relationship, and that's our relationship with Christ. So, you know, as uh, part of... You know, as Pastor was going last week, and we were talking about a little bit of his imagination on the disciples in this time between the uh, between the death and cruc- crucifixion, death and burial of Jesus, and the ascension. You know, we're going to kind of pick up there where he left off. And uh, uh, you know, this would have been a, a pretty rough time for the disciples. Uh, their leader was just taken from them. He was uh, brutally beaten and crucified, and that'd be enough to shake anybody. If we're in a group and we have a leader that just disappears. And then uh, to kind of compound things, all at once Jesus comes back uh, to a couple certain areas. And this, uh, you know, he walks into a room with a locked door and says, Hey, how you doing? Peace to you guys. You got anything to eat? And then uh, just disappears again. He made himself known to a couple of uh, disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. And as soon as these disciples figured out that they were speaking to the risen Lord, poof, he's gone again. So he comes back, he builds their hopes, and then suddenly he's gone again. Now, we talked last week about how these uh, disciples would use their gifts to build one another up, to encourage one another. How uh, Peter, you know, I can see this man, he, he usually makes a, a big decision and, and a lot of action when nobody else is going to make a decision. And we talk about Thomas, whose experience of actually taking his hands and, and touching the wounds of Jesus, how he's going to say, hey, there's no room for doubt anymore. You know, I've seen this with my own eyes. I've felt it with my own hands. And we talked a little bit about uh, Nathaniel, who was kind of the analytical one. And uh, he's the one that, that, like Pastor said last week, I actually do relate to a little bit. He, takes, he remembers a lot of these little things. And as uh, things come back, you know, there's light bulbs. These things start clicking and things start making sense. So the passage that I want to go over today, I think uh, Nathaniel would have been able to speak a lot to. I think... Uh, This passage would have been pretty fresh on their minds. Uh, This passage comes from what what we know as the upper room discourse. Uh, This is uh, the last night that Jesus uh, was on the earth with his disciples. It takes place in uh, uh, John chapter 13 through 17. This is the time when uh, the Last Supper was instituted, or what we practice as communion today. Uh, This is the time when... uh, Jesus would have washed the disciples' feet, and also the high priestly prayer would have taken place there. Now, during this time where Jesus is 
talking to the disciples here, I bet they're all a little confused. They're not sure what's going on. There's a lot of words that Jesus is speaking that they don't understand yet. They don't know the gravity of. Uh, but looking back on this after the resurrection, that's when these things are starting to click. They're starting to make sense. You know, I picture this. My imagination takes me to a time when the disciples are walking home and they walk past a vineyard and, uh, and suddenly this vineyard starts to stand out to them. Now, a vineyard in, in this place and in this time, this time in history, would not have been uncommon. It was very important to the economy. It would have, uh, um, something they would have seen every day, but for some reason it was sticking out to them. It was making sense. Things were clicking. You know, they're, they're, they're seeing how neat and organized everything is in the vineyard. They're seeing these uh, branches and these vines neatly pruned, everything in place. How meticulous that the vine dresser is. You know, I see, and as Nathaniel, in my mind, as he walks by this and he sees the, these clusters of grapes starting to grow on the vine, a sense of joy comes into his heart. He smiles. And he's realizing what all this means. So if you guys can, uh, please turn with me to John chapter 15. And uh, uh, I want to read this whole passage, and then uh, we're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse. Um, as a lot of you guys know, my life has uh, been spent in the green industry. I've been working in landscaping and golf courses and stuff all my life. So plant, plant things speak out to me, and I think that's why this passage... Uh, grabbed a hold of me. So here we go. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy, or, sorry, these things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. 
So there's a, there's a whole lot there in this passage. And like I said, I want to kind of break this down for you. Um, what God has revealed to me through this time. And, and uh, you know, right from the beginning here in verse 1, uh, this is a pretty profound statement. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, as we go through the book of John, Jesus makes seven clear statements of the I am. What makes this so important is what he said in this and, and the position that he had here as he said this. He says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. These are very bold statements. By saying these statements, he's making himself out to be God. He's saying, I am God. I am. This is the same uh, words that God told Moses what to tell Pharaoh when he asked, who sent this? Who says you can do this? I am. So, as Jesus is saying this, you know, without the authority to back this up, without the power to back this up, Jesus is just a lunatic. He's just a crazy man with a lot of words. It doesn't make sense. But back to the disciples, as they're walking home after the resurrection, they realize that Jesus has every right to say these things. He can prove them. He backs it up. He says that he is the resurrection and life. He's proved that. He is who he says he was. So now when he states that he is the true vine, this goes back to a lot of Old Testament passages. Uh, one, of, one such passage is uh, Isaiah 5. Isaiah writes, writes of uh, God planting a vineyard. It says he prepares the soil, removes the rocks, builds a wine press and a watchtower, and plants it with choice vines. He looked for it to bring forth good grapes. He expected a fruit of righteousness, a fruit of justice, a fruit of praise and honor and glory to his own name. But because we live in a sinful world, this garden produced uh, what's written in Isaiah as wild grapes or rotten fruit. It produced uh, bloodshed and injustice and unrighteousness. It was rotten fruit, idolatry, sin. So the choice vines that he planted didn't produce what they were expected. But if we look at Israel as a vineyard full of rotten branches and diseased vines bearing rotten fruit, when the time was right, there was another vine that sprung up, a vine that would bear the fruit as we expected, fruit of righteousness. One vine bearing the fruit that would bring joy and glory to the vine dresser. The vine dresser being God and this vine being Jesus, one true vine. So that gives us a little uh, understanding of what Jesus is saying here as I am the true vine. Now verse 2, uh, one reason I really want to talk about this is because this is a verse that really challenged me. Uh, the Bible teaches us that if we have a, a life-giving relationship with Christ, we cannot be removed from that. But verse 2 here says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That questioned me. I have enough of a horticultural experience to know that if you are a branch and you start from a vine, you have a pretty intimate relationship with that vine. That vine has given you life. That vine has started you. So as I was looking into this, it became evident. They questioned, I had a question on it. It made me question my theology. But looking into this, this verb here for taken away, 
means to be lifted up, lifted from the ground. How many of you uh, know how a vine grows? Vine, vine has to be trained up. It has to be raised up. A vine sprouts branches and they droop to the ground. On the ground here is no place for a branch to bear fruit. It's going to lay wet. It's going to get trampled on by the gardener. It's going to be easy pickings for animals. It's going to be prone to disease. So this verb here, the vine dresser lifts it up, means it puts it into place. This is not an exalting lift. It's not a saying, oh, you're so good. No, it's... it's might be kind of abusive. might be kind of harsh. Branches are going to be broken, scratched, bruised. And I took great peace in reading that and understanding that better because how many of us have started our walk with Christ in the same fashion? How many of us had to be broken down and totally moved mentally, physically, emotionally? We had to be moved to a better place so he could start this work of pruning in our lives. How many of us have started that way? I know uh, that's kind of how it started for me. So then we go on to the pruning process, which most of us understand that. That's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, convicting us of sin. It would say, we've got to get rid of this. As we grow in the vine, we say, this is, uh, this is not right. I need to get rid of this area. But not only in the areas of sin, but also uh, sometimes we're just trying to bear too much fruit. We've got too many things going on, and God needs to cut some of this out. Sometimes we have to get rid of what we call very good things, so that we can grow better fruit, fruit that's pleasing to God in other areas. So we have a branch that is in Christ, not bearing fruit, that's being drastically relocated, adjusted, so that it can bear fruit. And we have a branch that's abiding in Christ, that's being pruned, so it can grow more fruit and better fruit. Then if we jump down to verse number 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. These branches are not in Christ. They never were. We, we get a clear understanding. These branches can be weeds. They can be other woody materials growing up. Um, and being the, the horticultural guy that I am, I, I had this... Uh, vision of, uh, how many of you know what a sucker is on a tree? Okay. It's, it's a growth that's unwanted. It's not supposed to be there. The definition for a, a sucker is an advantageous shoot. These are not abiding in the vine. They want to take over the vine. They're looking out only for themselves. Uh, a gardener would recognize this and usually pretty promptly prune them away. You know, suckers only rob the plant of what it's supposed to do. If left un, uh, unpruned, a sucker could actually kill the plant that it's uh, trying to attach itself to. Going through Scripture, I can think of a couple of areas where we see this. And this, uh, I think, is a, uh, very poignant. You know, we're, we're all familiar with the story of Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus. He, uh, he was one that... It, I would personally call a sucker. He looked like the plant. He spent years with the disciples. He walked with them. He talked with them. He did everything with the disciples. He looked like a disciple. He looked like he was part of the vine. But as the evidence shows that when he had opportunity, he quickly betrayed Jesus for his own benefit, for a few pieces of silver. He broke that attachment. He wanted to be his own vine. 
In Matthew 7, verses 22 and 23, Jesus tells us of another group that we could look at as suckers. He says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Essentially, this is a group of people saying, Didn't I do the good works? Didn't we do this? Look at me. Look at what I did. Didn't I live my life in an upright and morally good way? Didn't I bear fruit? They wanted to be their own vine. They weren't pointing towards the true vine that gave them the life, that gave them the ability to do these things. What this group fails to realize is the truth that's revealed in verse 4 and 5 here. It says, a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. We have to abide in that vine to bear fruit. We have to gain our life from the life that flows through that vine. You know, a couple weeks ago, a pastor was teaching on the word abide and saying it means to continue in. And that's, that's very true. That's 100% true. I don't want to take away from that meaning at all. But in the... Uh, Looking at this allegory here with the branches and the vine, I want to suggest a, a co-meaning to it. We know that a branch can't survive without the vine. So this co-meaning I'd like to suggest to you is derives life from. Okay? If we abide, if a branch abides in the vine, it derives its life from the vine. If a branch doesn't abide in the vine... It's just a stick laying on the ground that's ready to be raked up and thrown in the burn pile. So now if we can reread these verses and, and think about that meaning of derive your life from and also my life being displayed in you, if I abide in Christ, his life is displayed in me. I derive my spiritual life from Christ and his life is displayed in what I do. So if we reread these verses and, and with that meaning, abide in me and I in you. Derive your life from me and my life is displayed in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, derives its life from the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Neither can you unless you derive your life from me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me derives his life from me, and I in him, my life is displayed in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So as we've made it this far in this passage, I think it's, it's, it's paramount to point out um, the obvious here. It says this text does not say that we will be thrown into hell if we don't bear fruit. It says that whoever does not abide in the vine will be thrown into hell. Whoever does not abide in Christ will be thrown into hell. But it does say that those who do abide in Jesus, those who do derive their life and display the life of Christ, will bear much fruit. Okay? So there's a, there's a huge difference here. We will not be thrown into hell for not bearing fruit. But if we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. So this is a call to all of us to inspect our lives and say, 
Are we bearing fruit? Do I need to submit to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he talks about here early and have some areas pruned out of my life so I can bear fruit? But there's also such great freedom in this truth. This is, this is one thing that really captivates me. We don't have to focus on bearing fruit. We don't have to look at our good works for bearing fruit. We say, it says, if we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. Now, we can't neglect a personal responsibility to action here. But this relationship is what leads us to action, what leads us to bear fruit. The, the, I sent this out to a couple of guys yesterday as I was preparing for this message. And this is, this is the big truth that we all need to wrap our minds around. It says, the branch does not produce fruit to feed the vine. The branch produces fruit because it is fed by the vine. So Jesus goes on to tell us about this personal action that we do have to take, take part of. And not only the action, but the rewards and the benefits of the action. And verse 7 and 8 is another truth that should bring us great confidence and joy. Uh, this is going to uh, kind of play off something that, that we're going to be doing more and more of here as a church. But uh, how many of us realize that it brings God glory to answer our prayers? In fact, that's what we were created for, to bring him glory. It brings him glory by answering our prayers. Uh, in the future here, we're going to be going through the New City Catechism. And question number four in the New City Catechism is how and why did God create us? And the answer to this question is that God created us, male and female, in his own image, to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it's right that we are who created by God should live to his glory. So verse 7 and 8 again, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So we know if we derive our life from Christ, we will bear fruit. If we bear fruit, we prove to be Jesus' disciples and bring the Father glory. If we display the life in Jesus' words by following his commandments, then it's going to be on our hearts to be asking for things in accordance with his teaching. And then we have this promise that's given to us that our prayers will be answered. And not because it brings us glory, but because it brings him glory. Moving on to verses 9 and 10 is kind of the hows and of this, how this relationship works. It can be summed up in two words, love and obedience. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These two reciprocate on one another. I, uh, just this morning, this analogy came back to me. One time I heard a pastor speaking on uh, the analogy of the bicycle. Okay? As we go on a bicycle, one pedal goes down, the other one comes up. As we press into our relationship with Christ and abide in his love, we push on that pedal. The pedal of obedience comes up for us to push in. Okay? And when we get these working in motion, we keep propelling ourselves forward into this relationship with Christ. 
Now, the analogy also came to me that uh, we don't have room to coast. A lot of bicycles coast, okay? We're saints living in a fallen world. This is an uphill pedal. We can't coast. We have to keep pushing in. We have to push down on this love and abiding in Christ. And when that opportunity arises, we have to continue to be obedient and keep moving forward. So now, some other truths that we can pull out of this. I don't think we have time to go into them a whole lot. But uh, as the Father has loved me, that's the same kind of love that Jesus wants to show us. Now, uh, we can go back through a lot of Scripture and see that a couple of them that I can just pull off the top of my head is... uh, The Father has given Jesus all authority in heaven and earth. He's put all things into his hand. Think about how, what God wants to do for us, what Jesus wants to do for us. With the same love that the Father has loved Jesus, is the same love that he wants to love us. I think what's more important than that for today's message is if we drop down to verse 11 here and say we are obedient to Jesus and we abide in his love for the joy that he wants to show us. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is a complete joy and a perfect joy. If you guys want to turn to Hebrews, or it'll show up on the screen here. It's a joy that the writer of Hebrew, Hebrews describes in chapter 12 and verse 2. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and protector of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This puzzle piece we're working on is a relationship puzzle piece. It's this relationship with the Father, the abiding in His love that gave Jesus the strength to endure the cross, the power to be obedient to every one of the Father's commands, which ultimately led to His joy being completed and His reward sitting at the right hand of the Father. Abiding in the Father's love and being obedient to His commands is where Jesus found His greatest joy. Just as our relationship with Jesus and abiding in Him and His love gives us the endurance and our obedience to His commands and leads to His joy in us and eventually our joy being completed or His joy being completed in us. So you think about the greatness of of Jesus and sitting at the right hand of the Father and that's what He wants for us. He wants us to be there with Him enjoying that same joy in that joy complete, perfect. Now moving on to verses 12 12 through 15, it tells us about this relationship and how it practically plays out. Jesus demonstrated his love for the disciples for the whole time he was with them. It never ceased. He taught them. He served them. He rebuked them when they needed it. He encouraged them. He was open and honest with them, always and completely. This verse here, uh, verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This is where that comes from. There's different levels of friendships we have with people. We have acquaintances. We have business friends. We have partners. We have friends that we can talk to, that we can let anything out. And this is the type of friendship that Jesus bestows on the disciples there as he's talking to them. It's a, it's a friendship with totally open and honest. Uh, another thing that I found really interesting is the, uh, this, how the status of the disciples was elevated with Jesus saying these words. Um, there's a couple of different, uh, I guess, ways of looking at this, but the word used for servant here, uh, some translations use the same word that Paul uses as like a bondservant. Uh, but then there's other translations that use the words of slave. This isn't saying you're calling your waiter your friend and you're revealing stuff to him. It's saying you're calling your slave your friend. You're elevating this. Jesus is elevating the disciples here from the standing of slave. They have no business knowing what the plan is. They're just doing what they're told to a friend where Jesus is revealing everything to them, the purposes, the meaning, the whole reason for he's, his doing what he's doing. In verse 13, this is one that we've all heard. Greater love has no one than this, as someone lay down his life for his friends. These words are often used to describe fallen heroes who have given the ultimate sacrifice, and I agree wholeheartedly that they should be. These people deserve to be honored, their, disease, their deeds celebrated, their memories respected and honored. These words are fitting for such people, but these acts are usually spontaneous, adrenaline-filled moments. Even for those that are trained as first responders, they're trained to act in this way. It's all imagination. It just plays out in their mind what might happen until they're put in that situation. But for Jesus, this was a reality from the moment he set course on his ministry. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew the pain. He knew the shame, the humiliation. He had plenty of time to think about it. He knew his death was going to be a slow and a painful, torturous death. He didn't give up his life for his friends. He slowly and intentionally, deliberately laid it down for them. So as we go back to these disciples who are walking home, uh, maybe after breakfast and a night of fishing, you get that if you were here last week, and they see this... Uh, coming by this vineyard. They're noticing the fruit growing on the vines, and their spirits are lifted. They're encouraged by what they see. They're quietly thinking about uh, how they've been able to encourage one another, how they've been able to provoke one another, and how they've learned to love one another with the different and varied gifts God has given each of them. They're taking what Jesus has taught them, and they're sharing it with others. They're realizing that the, uh, that the job that Jesus started doing with them was theirs to continue. Not complete, but continue. The same thing that Jesus was doing with them for the three years they were walking together was theirs to continue. And they were also recognizing they see this fruit bearing on these vines. And they're seeing these vines that are branching off of, or the branches off of the vine, they're seeing this. And they're realizing... 
that the secret to completing this job that they've been tasked with is not in them. It's in abiding in the vine. It's abiding in his word. It's knowing that their life, ultimately what they're going to do, comes from Jesus. And as they're doing this, as they're seeing this, they're also remembering all the other promises that Jesus gave them. Promises of courage and of power and of provision from the Father. You know, they just had breakfast with the risen Lord. And then they're remembering this. They're remembering the words from verse 16. And they realize it doesn't rest on them. They said, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You know, these men, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in them, because of their relationship with Christ, they did go on and they did bear fruit. They continued in that process. As Jesus made them disciples, they continued to make disciples through this relational aspect, starting with their relationship with the true vine. They continued in their relationship with Jesus and one another, and God has changed our world through these relationships, and he continues to do it one person at a time. He chose us as believers in Christ, as disciples, to do the same. Are we? Are we going? Are we bearing fruit? To kind of go back to the vine analogy here, these men operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that plants have sap that grows up and down. That's what the Holy Spirit is kind of like here. It gives life to the branches. It comes from the roots, the water, the nutrients from the soil goes up and feeds the branches. That's exactly the way we operate. This life was so prevalent, so powerful in these disciples' lives that each one of these men would go on to give their life for Christ, for the mission that Jesus left them. So in closing, I would like to point out one more thing about verse 13. Jesus was speaking of laying down his life for his friends, his disciples who were with them in the upper room. That was his direct audience. But he was also speaking of those who would come after the disciples. John chapter 17, part of this same discourse in the high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, verse 20 says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples in the room, but also for those who would believe in me through their word. The disciples abided, they went, they produced fruit, and their fruit still continues to this day. And because they did that, because they're continuing to do this, because that relationship they have, we can enjoy that same relationship today. Even if we think that we're too far off from God, or we're too big as sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, But God showed his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died not only for his friends, but for his enemies. He died so that anyone would believe and trust in him, could have the same eternally abiding relationship with Christ that these disciples enjoy, that many of us enjoy. A relationship that brings joy and peace and fruit that abides forever. It continues in Christ and does continue on and gets its life from Christ. 
So if you want to know more about this relationship or have questions, please come talk with someone about it. The elders will be up here after service as we're worshiping uh, to pray with anyone that would like to, that has questions about that. If you have questions about sin in your life, pruning that needs to take place, come talk to us, please.